Hello, racing fans. Edison Hatter back. Another episode of First Over with Edison Hatter. Uh, this is a special roundtable recap. We recap the Fall Final Four and the TVG Finals at the Meadowlands. Uh, but first things first, I will welcome in my panelists before we get to last Saturday's action. Mike Rosie. Mike, welcome back. Good to be here. Steelers 16, Colts 3 currently. Yeah, so uh, that was very disappointing for my Ravens yesterday, but as is well documented on the show, I am a dual Ravens Steelers fan, as weird as that is. So hopefully, my impossible. Give me half of the week to make me feel better. Uh, thanks, uh, Ed. It's been a long time since I've moved from this spot. I was here for the roundtable. I have not moved since. I am in desperate need of a restroom. Oh, well, I was going to say save my comments for after right, the introductions, Ray, but I guess I'll say it now then. So my listeners, though, I said last time, everyone knows my busy schedule. So, yes, I did wake up at the Meadowlands yesterday, Sunday morning, and I did drive four hours through the pouring rain to Maryland, then 15 hours through miserable traffic to the University of Tennessee to drop my cousin off for college for the second half of the semester here, or I guess in the last couple of weeks. And, yes, I did drive 10 more hours today down to Gainesville, Florida, and I am currently lying in bed in Gainesville, Florida. Now, wait, Ed, has, I thought your parents were better than that. Why would they teach you to lie? Yeah, you're in bed. Well, what's a lie, Ray? Well, then don't lie I about it. Tell the truth. You, I, I am sitting here. I did. I, I said it. I'm sitting here. I'm going right to bed as soon as we're done. But, hey, Garnett Barzell joined us. Garnett's got to be fired up after a great Thanksgiving Day Bill's win that he saw in person. That was a lot of fun. I, that, that, uh stadium's great i love it especially since it was indoors and it was you know it's uh late november but uh mike could george pickens score the first touchdown tonight mm, Najee, i think oh, got it i did yeah i saw it. ray are you in your bullfighter uh, tonight i am wearing an old navy sweater kind of bullfightery because i have my red track pants on it's laundry day also, congrats on your there bills. You I told Ed Coral. on his show to bet the Lions when they were still the underdog, and I almost had it. So you're welcome on that jinx. I, well, it was a bit of a lucky win, but um, they don't ask it. I wish they did sometimes. Well... Racing fans, we had eight championship races we saw last Saturday. We'll uh, discuss all of those. Maybe we'll get into some divisional honors discussions as well while we're at it here. But uh, first things first, just want to mention for what it's worth that, I, you know, I mentioned this, I think, on the simulcast feed on Saturday at the Meadowlands. Not quite sure people realized it, and I don't really know what my purpose of mentioning it here is, but it should be noted. There were eight $5,000 giveaways at the Meadowlands this Saturday in the form of win wagers that were placed into the pools by real fans. And uh, I think I'd probably say just from a jealousy perspective that a lot of People won their bets. I think six out of eight were winning bets. But for what it's worth, it should be noted, that did affect maybe some of these odds you were looking at, if that maybe was something you were thinking about throughout the night. As a great example, El Rey that we just mentioned here was the pretty clear third choice in the will pays, went off the favorite because of that $5,000 win bet on him. So food for thought, but either way, we will discuss first the fourth race, and that was the Goldsmith made final two-year-old Philly Trotters, and it was Bond. Aki Sponsted, 7 for 9 this year. Ray Catolo loves Aki Sponsted, won a couple on this card. Uh, this race really Aki fell Sponsted. apart when Jimmy Tactor decided he wanted to have Brunella sit off the speed because it looked like she really wanted to go and mix things up. Whether that put her into the into contention you know, for the final stages of the race is debatable, but 
she got too anxious and trying to sit back, broke stride, congested most of the backfield, also neglecting that wild jiggy broke at the start. So that was another important element of the race eliminated, which then just left Bond to stroll through a middle half in almost a minute. And at that point, you know, she's not going to lose from there. And that's an important key because when she looked so vulnerable in that kindergarten race, she was strung a bit to take the lead. And granted, she still won the race, but she won it by a less decisive margin as well as a decisive looking margin than those two lengths to Mambasita, who I thought would race well there. And Blonde Bombshell also kind of surprised me with how much more aggressive she was this time around, but she's bred to be good. She should probably be better next year, of course, because she only raced so many times this year. Uh, the other note is the fact that Ox Fenstedt is keeping Southwind Frank Stallion stuck alive. <laughs> so, Mike, as I go to you for this race, one thing I'll point out that I think should be noted, last time we were all together round table, it was Breeders' Crown time. David Miller, very interesting choice to stick with Blonde Bombshell, making just her second career start in that Breeders' Crown of Limb. Now want a stake in the Garden State last week, third here in the Goldsmith Mage. Food for thought. Yeah, she's obviously improving, and they, they must have liked her from the very beginning because they put her in the Breeders' Crown off two races. And now she wasn't ready for that, but and she got a fairly even trip in this race. I mean, she got away early and rode the rail, and Heart on Fire just had nothing in the stretch, and the two horses that sat behind third and fourth ended up second and third in the race. And it was it was a bit of a boat race after all the chaos early, uh, but I feel like that the result was indicative of the talent of the horses that were in the race. And and uh, I mean it's it's not all that clever. The, the main horses finished where they probably should have, and uh, you know it was it was a fairly satisfying result. I thought. Garnett, things to add? Yeah, Ray pretty much hit the nail on the head. I mean, once uh, once those couple of horses were out of the race and, and Aki got the cut of 59 and 4 middle half, <coughs> the race was pretty much over. I'm curious, I'm guessing this is one of the ones that had a $5,000 win bet because I didn't expect it to be 2 to 5 from the 9 hole. I was thinking 4 to 5 or 3 to 5, but not that low. It was indeed on bond um, as we. We'll next discuss, and I'm trying to remember you're trying to pull up, admittedly, my Breeders' Crown winners, but uh, I'm sure Ray Catolo's got that info for me. Yep. Two-year-old Philly Trout winner, go. special way, right? Yeah, I got it myself. Special way one for Aki Bon, impressive winner here. Uh, Ray, discussion for... It's tough to justify a horse to beat one that not only won the Breeders' Crown, but also stamped herself through the season as a legitimate top-caliber Philly the way that special way did mostly in Lexington, uh, but then also adding that, adding to that resume with the breeders crown. And on top of that, also the interesting move by the Svenstets to purposefully keep bond away from those engagements. Special way was in Garal was talking about this after the race, that the plan for bond was to stick to the provincial program in Pennsylvania race in the later races, which also wouldn't coincide with where special way was, and that at some point they're going to have to hook up with the other horse, which whether that horse is better than Bond or not, we'll have to figure out next season. But credential wise, it's I, you know, I, I did all the numbers. Bre- Breeders Crown winners win divisional honors more than 50 percent of the time. And that that's that's across most divisions. There are others where there are asterisks, of course. But if 
if recency was truly the case and we all forgot what the Breeders' Crown was, I could understand Bond because she has all those ones on her line. But the way Special Way won that Breeders' Crown too, tough to really say she has she doesn't win it. Yeah, she was one of the two in that Breeders' Crown final. I'm pretty sure my vote goes to uh, Special Way there based on that effort. Uh, Mike, you agree? Oh, absolutely. A Special Way was, I thought, one of the most impressive winners of that entire weekend. You can't deny her uh, to be the best of, of the year, I don't think, whatsoever. I don't think there's even a question. Like, and Mike's saying it, that yeah. with Ammo also winning oh, on that weekend. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But we'll get there. Arnett? Yes. He's full of Ammo. Yeah, for sure. Same, same for me. <clears throat> I thought she was uh, special. Way was super impressive, both in her limb and final in the Breeders' Crown. I mean, there's, it's. Um, I, I, I think it'd probably be unanimous, actually. Uh, I think I know the answer to all these Garnett, so I'll point them out for what it's worth. So yes, Bond did receive a five thousand dollar win bet. Uh, in race five, the win bet went on volume eight. And actually, that win bet went in much earlier than other wagers. That's why volume eight opened like one to nine, and the second choice was 20 to one. And the money kind of filled in from there. But speaking of volume eight, Valley Victory Final, two-year-old Colton Gelding Trot, Mike, volume eight, comes back from a 20-length deficit and a break two back, crushes in the kindergarten, and wins convincingly here in the Valley Victory. Uh, he did. Uh, I thought he got a very good drive. Uh, I thought Kim Origin maybe didn't <laughs> quite get the best drive that, that could have been. Uh, I'm a, a, a tad biased, but uh, I just feel like that volume eight got the jump and had enough to hold on. Uh, I'm not sure he was three to five the best in the race, but it doesn't really matter. And the rest of them, uh, you know, the disappointment was obviously Celebrity Bambino, something completely amiss, didn't really leave with the horse. Whenever he did pull, really never took a step forward, and then ended up, you know, breaking around the final turn and really had nothing the entire way around. I thought Kim Origin could have moved earlier and didn't, and then was stuck on the back foot and Flew 26 and 3 in the stretch, and ultimately the race was put to bed at that point. But I thought he raced really well, and Kilmister, I thought, was was just okay. Uh, He left, they tried, he just wasn't quite good enough. He obviously has tailed off as kind of, I think, maybe not tailed off, but the other I I was about to say that's probably more the case, especially considering the missteps Kilmister had after winning the Peter Houghton, where he could barely stay flat behind the gate. So it seems like, if anything, they're kind of rehabbing him back to being closer to his more competitive form that, at the very least, would be contentious with these other ones who are progressing coming into their three year old season. I also must say, I am glad Kim Origian didn't get a much more aggressive drive because I needed that beautiful slip away around the final turn from McCarthy to cash that pick five for 800 bucks. Thank you, Andy. Thank you so much for making my weekend. Uh, Garnett, what do you have that on this race? Well, I think, I don't think the result was any surprise. I mean, coming into the race, I don't have the program open, but coming into the race, um, the winner of volume eight, uh, just trotted a mile in 152 flat, and nobody came, else came close to that. And we quite often say time doesn't mean anything, and my answer to that is then why do we time them, right? So, um, But this is another case of uh, a big chalk getting a big breather, right? A 58 middle half, which often happens in these races because um, he's on a clear lead at the half. Who's going to take a shot at him at that point, right? A lot of times they, they wait to, to make their moves, the, the opposition, and um, if a horse is overwhelmingly favored uh, probably a standout they're trying they're trying to save to get as much of the purse as they can so 
I think that's a that's another reason why we. It's not only that Garnsdale, but also look at the way the race laid out too. The the there were four horses you could say were contended in the betting: the nine, the six, the seven, and the two. Three of them were first, second, and third. Celebrity Bambino was towards the middle of the pack, and you could tell Yannick was waiting for one of those long shots yeah. to pull, but. He also knew that if one of these long shots pull, they might not carry me to where I need to go. Or he knows that, well, none of them are going to pull because they're all just hoping to at least get a piece because they know they're not good enough to keep up with volume eight. And so that really set the stage for the race, too. Right. And the- now, Garnett, I'll go to you here first. Maybe this is the tricky one. Yeah, so sure. Gaines Hanover. Wins the Breeders' Crown. I'm not super sure how high people are necessarily on him. Celebrity Bambino was the favorite in that race. Of course, a little disappointing here. Uh, volume 8 really coming on strong at the end of the year. How about the visual honors in this spot? Kilmister, of course, winning uh, the Houghton. Uh, there's options, I guess. I think Garnsdale's cutting out again. Yeah, this, this, this uh, might be a little... Right I here. honestly can't remember what Gaines Hanover did before winning the Breeders' Crown. Was he? Did he win the OSS Super Final, Mike? That Or was he... Second or third? Um, this one, I don't know. This one might be. I want to say bit, second. Uh, I, I'd have to look that up. Oh, wait. Okay, we got Garnsdale back. Garnsdale, we missed everything you said, and we missed you again. Okay. Um, yeah, like this is like the old <laughs> Nahu days. Whenever we were, we had technical difficulties every five minutes, or or when I was doing a bit where I wanted to act like we were having technical difficulties, really kind of obscured what was true and what was fiction on that show. Um. Uh, Ray, Ray, well, we've been here. I'm working on getting you the answer to this. So it's eight starts, four wins this year for Gaines Hanover. And super final question in the Miller. Super final, I'm thinking second, yeah. Was it second? He was ninth in the Wellwood. Oh, was he in the Millions? He went to Lexington for a while, though. No, he didn't. No, because Moreau doesn't ship them south usually. Okay, I think... Eight, eight starts this year. Eight starts this year. It's pretty straightforward. Second on debut in the Millard Farm. Scratched out of the uh, final there. Wellwood third limb. Ninth final. Scratched out of a non-winners of one. Uh, one non-winners of one at Woodbine. Won the Champlain at Mohawk. One non-winners of – or sorry, it was fifth and non-winners of three at Mohawk. And I know. That sounds to me like Gerald Trotting Cold of the Year if I've ever heard that. one. <laughs> I think we have Garnsdale back now. Okay. We do. Garnsdale's back. Right, where do we go for divisional honors here then? Man, this this one might be a little bit closer, right? This this vote might get split up a bit. Um, I'm, jeez, I don't know. I, well, I might go volume eight. The recency bias should help and him a lot. We're forgetting. Oh well, also yeah, second in the so. Peter Houghton. He because he lost the Breeders' Crown, but he won the Mohawk Million. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Think I'm leaning volume eight at the moment. One more thing with volume eight. One more thing with volume eight. I'm almost certain. I think he, I think he raced with shoes on in the breeder, not in the breeder, in the Valley Victory. Someone can correct me on that, but he had the shoes pulled for the kindergarten, kept them on in the Valley Victory, and so maybe that also explains why we saw him a little shorter than. He looked in the kindergarten, but also Noel, I remember in the post-race interview, said that he, the horse didn't really have that great of a week leading up to the final. So, I mean, he did knock off a lot of pretty good ones in that stake event down at Lexington. Kindergarten final wins this fall final four. So, yeah, I'm going to go volume eight just because, I mean, I don't know, between 
Mohawk Million, Kindergarten, Valley Victory, Final Valley Victory, and Breeders' Crown. Volume uh-huh. 8 did win two of them. I don't know. That, that's probably where I go. But uh, 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 if you give a vote in there somewhere, where do you go? I, I mean, Volume 8 makes the most sense. The, the horse, when I'm looking at the horse of the year for that division, you want to find a horse who did the best through the year. And, you know, Volume 8, he got started a little late, but he's was consistent enough at the top level through the year that you could justify it. Mike? I think OL has it's pretty good pretty good resume. I mean that that Mohawk Millen, he got really good there for a while in the middle of the season. I think that he merits consideration. He also took significant action in that Breeders Crown too. He didn't so. race that in there. Um, he didn't, so that's that's fair. So well, there's, as you can see, obviously all these won't be unanimous, so there's one that we disagree on, and the uh, winner could be one of those two that we discussed, maybe one of the others, so definitely options in that division. But uh, race six, we've uh, had the retirement ceremony for the Great Atlanta. She goes out with a fourth-place finisher in this TVG Mare's final trot. Uh, you know, now that the season is more or less complete, I guess we can hmm. circle back. You know, Ray, I, I guess we got to give you credit for mm-hmm. saying Bella was going to be really good this year, which you said. But to be fair, you also adamantly said she was going to be number one. Uh, well, I don't I'm that? not sure I anticipated a speed freak coming into the into play at all, because that's impossible to predict. But if I remember, is it is she second or third in the top 10 poll? I don't pay attention. She was second in last week's top 10 poll. And just for you, Ray, I have her as number 11 this week behind Tandem. I was about to ask, did Unicorn, Unicorn Blue Chip Blue not Chip. cut the top 10 anymore? Because that would be incredibly disappointing. Oh, yeah, there she is. She's second. Yeah, so that that case stands. Bulldog Hanover is the Bulldog Hanover that he looked like after the North America Cup versus the Bulldog Hanover who went to Pound Town and then became the fastest horse ever. Uh, Bella would have been number one. So. Well, She's really good. You, what you need uh, this is this is horse study 101. Watch that if you watch that Hamiltonian Oaks win where she should not have won that race from where she was, then you understand why she is the best trotting mare of the last 10 years. Period. Of the last 10 years, Darn like it. better than Atlanta, better than Hanalore, better than Manchego. None of those. I they they were speed freaks. Bella has a certain grit that I that I admire more than just who's more gritty and, than Hannah. I mean that 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 is that is that is a valid point that you make. But I think you pin Bella Bellini against Hannah or I'm almost certain Bella would win. And Atlanta won the handball in two heats. Okay, and she got a great drive and she almost lost. Oh. Doesn't matter. I mean, that's that. It, that it, says it a lot. It certainly does. But I watched that Hambo Oaks win by Bella Bellini, and that is almost as equally impressive. Granted, it's not two heats. Not even close. Okay. Not even close. All right. No. Agreed. Not even close. I, I still think there's something to be said for how well Bella's done in all these races. I mean, um, well, first of all, the pace scenario. Derek Gibbon and I standing in the winner's circle to watch this race. A little intrigued by the pace scenario. You know, didn't necessarily early set up the way we thought it would. Right? It was those outside three trying to leave, and then ultimately, when Doves Cry did find the lead, but uh, you know, and stole fifty-eight and two in the half in the middle half, and yet fell up pretty Yeah, and the, one of the reasons why I feel so strongly is you rarely 
see Dexter have to call on Bella. You saw him call upon her on Hambo Day, and she uncorked the 49 miles. So we know that she's capable of that when she's asked. She's doing all of this at maybe like 60%. And so that all there's there's a ton of potential that we aren't seeing in her performances as well. That's <clears throat> mostly why I say that. I was surprised Refined was second, but Virgil Morgan's been going well over the last couple months, so. Well, Garnett, is there a whole lot of discussion here on divisional honors? Not at all. And just, uh, I guess we're at the point now <coughs> where well, she's if she's racing against mares for money, how do you try to beat her? Right? We know we know in <coughs> elimination races or prep races, maybe the intent's a little bit different. But now Atlanta's gone. When, when, how are any of these mares ever going to beat her in a race for money? I, I don't know. Um, the other thing I wanted to ask, and maybe I'm nuts with this, but I look at her 26 and one kicker and, and Bulldogs 26 kickers and all year long Bulldog pacing home really fast. Is this one of Dexter Dunn's um, strengths? Does he get an extra tick or two out of uh, course in the line of that? That's something you would have to ask like a spreadsheet freak who can put put something because also yeah, it, we've been doing this sport for what 200 400 years. And no one's come up with an equation for how you can measure a driver's influence even down to like a fifth of a second because it, it's it's tough to do that with with how horses will race between 90% and 95% and how much you can attribute that to a driver versus how the trainer had them ready that week. There are too many variables to ca- account for to take that. But I, w- I was going to say what I was gonna, what I will say about Dexter is you look at how he drives compared to other guys and how smooth he is. If anything, the thing the thing I can imagine is more yes. so he's able to keep the horses on the bit because he's not he's not pulling or pushing or anything. He's he always eases into whatever action he wants the horse to do. And that you see the same thing from Toddy also and they're they're dominating to the degree they are for that reason I feel because they're able to finesse horses more into the race one thing i will say though is he he is on the best horses now i mean he's proven himself to be the best driver but he's on the best horses now almost every race i mean you know he's he's number one and it's not even close so so when you're the best driver and you're on the best horses you know it's kind of like when bailey was was you know at the top of his game like he was the best jockey and there was it wasn't even any close he always was getting the best horses, so he. I, I think that makes Dexter mm-hmm. look a little oh, better ab- too. Absolutely, you know. So you know, just I mean, just like the Rosecroft race with uh, you know the Potomac, you know, he was on the front there, but he, there was nothing stopping the freight train coming to run him down. There's only so much he can do. Mm-hmm. I, I think right. so. Um, he's really good, though. <laughs> I mean, there's a reason why he's on. The yeah, best. and the, and the argument you can be made because remember, yeah. Jody went, I think, what, forty eight and four with Bulldog at Mohawk. You you could you could raise an argument of what does Dexter go with that horse, and you kind of can see Dexter does go fast, but he's going on faster tracks than Mohawk, different time of year, horses more conditioned, so it's tough to evaluate. Truly, especially with the aerodynamics of this sport, too. Mike, uh, returning back to this race, I presume no debate from you on the divisional honor here? No, and, and I mean, Bella was always going to win, but it, it did help that her two main rivals really didn't fire in the race. I mean, Atlanta was just had nothing, and when Doves Cry tried, got the front, but really had nothing to offer when Bella came calling. So 
when you have the best horse and the main rivals don't show up, it just makes it that much more of a blowout. Not to mention, I mean, Ray, correct me if I'm wrong, the biggest race in this division that Bellini didn't win is probably the Miss Versatility. Uh, is that correct? Yeah, the Miss Versatility in Delaware, Ohio. You're the final you're talking about. Because Bellini won Leaders Crown. She wins TVG Finals. She won Stakes mm-hmm. on Hambo Day. Of course, that I never yeah, because you're, you're great at this. Yeah, uh, the oh wait oh uh, that oh I used to remember it is the oh it used to be the oh, fresh the Yankee Orlando. and then it was the I'm a Lula which was an overnight series they changed the name the uh, not the the Cashmans for the man or for the Colts or the horses the Steel thank that so it was the fresh steel. Yankee for like a year and a half two years and then it became the Doctor John Steel and it's been that since I think after like 2016 or 2017. I'm old enough to sadly remember Yikes. seeing I'm a Lula race. <clears throat> oh, yeah, I guess <laughs> when Doves Cry winning the uh, oh Atlanta won the Alaraj. When Doves Cry wins the one of the Yonkers Trot Invitations or whatever in the Dayton Oaks. So I guess those are the other major stakes. But you know, Bella wins the Steel. She wins the Breeders. Yeah. So race seven. Two-year-old Philly Pacers, the Three Diamonds final, and well, Zanata, Breeders' Crown, the tough spot in post ten, wins the elimination, wins here. Daniel Dubay, the only horse he came for last week, clearly was worth his time. Zanata at I believe five to one. Win bet here went on Strong Poison. I can see the morning line was always backwards, and I said that last week with Felice Manover and Strong Poison, but Strong Poison definitely took even more action with that win bet. But uh, Mike. What'd you make of this race? Well, I was I was interested in Zanata enough to put her on my tickets because I really thought she raced extremely well uh, in the the race last week, and uh, that was I guess the elimination. She crushed that race. I know she got a pocket trip, but she never looked a loser, even though she was fourteen to one. And and believe me, Danny Dubay can can get one there. And he used to drive at this racetrack all the time. He was aggressive again as soon as he pulled the trigger on. You know, her, she fired to the front and never looked a loser again. Meanwhile, Strong Poison really had no answers. Uh, you know, the closers ended up picking up the the pieces, but she was never in any danger. She's gotten really good here, especially these last yeah, couple of weeks. I admittedly neglected the Lasix angle on Zanata. I missed that she got first-time Lasix in that elimination. Purely just went off what I remembered on the horse. And then after after the race, I heard Jen mentioned Lasix. I went, oh, gosh, damn it. That's that that was that was the extra oomph that that horse probably needed because it, the horse always was a little kind of short and such, uh, and I and that's what made me think the horse was just a pocket horse. But to for her to put a first over effort like that, that that truly shows that she has a different dimension to her that just had to be unearthed with something that was already st- unearthed by getting rid of something that was already standing in her way, which in this case seemed to be whatever uh, she was dealing with. But with um. Grace Hill winning later in the sequence. I was less bummed about missing this because, you know, I had Vivian's Dream and Cultured on my pick four, uh, and they were second and third at great prices. Both kind of got the trips I was imagining they would, but Zanata was massive. And Strong Poison, I can't recall if she's faded on the front like that before because she's always been a chaser, but she had a pocket ride for part of it. Maybe just kind of got gassed out from the end, from it being a long season. Who, who, who knows? 
Well, she mm-hmm. took the one with yeah, her too. Bellissimo. Oh. If Bellissimo had room too, it could also be a different race. But uh, Garnsdale was mentioning it earlier. If ifs and buts for candies and nuts, then you know Christmas would be every day. Garnett. I think uh, it was a really smart drive by Dubay. He he let the dust settle. He saws a little bit of battling early. Like that fifty-four and four half is pretty big when you consider that the half uh, Bulldog pace of fifty-four and two half. The three-year-old pacing Phillies pace fifty-four and three. So uh, Dubay saw his chance. He attacked, and uh, once once she made front, that was pretty. The race was pretty much over. But I just thought uh, she's for sure she's full value for the win. But I thought. The story of the race for me was was just a really, really smart, aggressive drive by Dubé. Well, Garnett, going right back to you, um, something we kind of, the three of us discussed before coming on, is that, you know, when it comes to divisional honors here <coughs> for Dan Patch Awards, maybe the U.S. bias affects it. So, obviously, the Breeders' Crown winner, Sylvia Hanover, went eight for nine this year, but all nine of those starts were at Mohawk. So, how do you think that may sway voters here? I, I don't think it should. How may it? I mean, I guess it could. I don't, I don't think it should. I think she uh, she really showed herself, especially in those last two starts where she got a little bit lazy and overtaken and managed to come back on again to win both those races, which is not something you see every day. Um, you know, on, on paper, her record clearly dominates any any, any other uh, of these two-year-old pacing fillies. So I guess it uh, could, that, but I don't mm-hmm. think it should. Ray, you were one kind of hinting towards this ray so if you had a vote would you i going it's Hanover or you know this is it, it's the question you should ask of what is horse of the year or again in the division because you know in the o'briens it's restricted purely to best performances on canadian soil the dan patch awards do function differently it incorporates most all all of north america and those starts and so in that way you could justify a horse like sylvia hanover taking it she won the she's a great lady she won the breeder's crown the same time there's also something to be asked of you know the the main horse everyone was talking about in october twin b joe fresh 10 starts eight wins two seconds granted race mostly in the new york sire stakes circuit but dominating the kentucky championship series beat strong poison beat zanata new york sire stakes champ beat some of the other were like earth wind and fire that was in this race and then dominated in Lexington against Zanata against hungry for love against strong poison light and tie all of these horses that were racing in the three diamonds. And the only reason why she wasn't here was just because she wasn't paid into the race as a two-year-old. So it's, this is a game of what have you done for me lately? So twin B Joe fresh will be dinged for not participating through the end of the season. But lest we forget Around Breeders' Crown time, everyone was looking at these horses' lines going, oh, this horse raced against Twin B Joe Fresh. This horse must be something. And in, in that respect, there has to be merit to her as well. Mike? Yeah, I think it's going to end up a split. Uh, I do feel like that uh, Twin B Joe Fresh will sort of get lost in the shuffle, especially because the horse hasn't been seen in a while. Uh, I think Sylvia Hanover is the best horse. I really... It's it's a quirky, definitely. But when any time that horse hit the stretch, it was gone. So, and we saw her for basically the entire season. I mean, I've seen I watch every race at Mohawk, and she, you know, the only race she lost, I think she was in the eleven hole, and got buried. And she's got four, and she's got four Grand Circuit wins, which I think should count for something, if not a yeah. lot. So. She would be the one for me. I don't know what will happen, how they'll vote, whatever. I mean, how do you handicap that? 
Yeah, it's a tricky one. I'm thinking through my own head which way I would I would go. Um, I, I, I'm thinking Sylvia Hanover just because of the premier crown the stakes to start at the end of the year. But I I get the point until Timmy Joe Fresh and I, I think it is unfortunate that we didn't get a chance to see her in the big stakes races and um you know towards the end of the year here and for sure it would have obviously given a pretty good lightning of where she is. But you know I don't know Ray you do make a really good point though we did sit around Breeders' Crown time and discuss who's racing against Timmy Joe Fresh so. I don't know. Very intriguing discussion. And I think in particular, I mean, for that matter, I'm reading these winners that I got, by the way, off of the Standard Bread Canada poll, which of the 12 Breeders' Crown winners you think was most impressive. Second most popular answer is Sylvia Hanover. Obviously, we saw the way she won both the Elim and the final in similar styles. So people seem to be pretty impressed with that. So I don't know. It could be an interesting division there as well. Race 8, Ray Catolo. This can't possibly be a discussion, can it? It's the Breeders' Crown winner. It's the world champion mile in the Cutler. And it's the it's horse the whose stablemate, Al Rajo one would have probably won the award had he not gotten injured midway through the season. So now it's time for the second string of the Svenstedt. Uh, art, no, there's got to be an alliteration for the, not the, the Svenstedt. Uh, Stetalian. It's like battalion, but with stat in it. Uh well, this one's a little, this one's a little keyed up. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm glad. I took a similar fall that Sarah yeah. did there at the farm show complex that I'm still kind of recovering from. Uh, so I hope that her tailbone is better than mine. But that said, hmm? I was going to make a joke, but I'm going to let oh, that one go. Okay. Uh, I, I probably shouldn't let this one go. Maybe I should seek litigation. But uh, that all this said, uh, Eckery D... You know, he lo he looked better this time around off the tightener. The only thing that I was trying to figure out is I, I honestly the horse looked like he was getting lost in the stretch when its academic was getting close to him. My, uh, Mike, I thought described it best in our group chat. He said that the horse was grinding, but he wasn't kicking. You saw Eckery has the kick. Its academic doesn't have that kick. So even though he was narrowing on Eckery, it, it's tough. It's tough to evaluate if Eckery was fatigued and he was losing ground or if Dunn was having to keep him focused because he was kind of veer he was veering inward you could see it. he was kind of like bending towards the inside and almost fighting Dexter to an extent so maybe he's much more the best if he can keep his mind to task and that's why we saw him lose two lengths there in the stretch but I, it's it's a it's case closed he, he's done the same thing over and over again how many times can you do that he lost two lengths at a 150 and two mile placing a 20. He's gone faster. Kicker. I mean, you know, the horse, the horse, the horse that sat in a perfect, <laughs> wow, it's, it was a cool night though. I mean, the horse that sat a perfect trip close some ground as he should. It's academics, a very good horse. He's just not Eckery D. It's kind of simple as that for me. Mike, anything Dad? Not really. I mean, I, I think it, it's academic closed the gap and he <laughs> definitely got much better as the year went on. And some of these other ones fell off. I mean, you know, $100 bill and back of the neck and all, all these other ones, they really were not firing those same shots that they were earlier. Uh, I thought it's academic was close, but he was probably never catching the winner as sick as I'm, I have to say, I thought he was, was driven very well. He raced very well. He just wasn't quite good enough. And Ecury Deeks tends to, these horses just tend to find a way when the big money's on the line. I, and what else can you say? Oh, wait. Mike, were you surprised? Mike, Mike, were you surprised at all? The clear second choice, three to one, it's academic. Well, yeah, I was a little surprised. I I thought that back of the neck would take more money. Really didn't. Uh, Juju B took about what I thought he would. Nobody else took a nickel though. I mean, 
the, the rest of the horses were 35. I was incommunicado with 17 to one. Here's in something the race. I find interesting. Wait, I, I, this is one, mm-hmm. this is one I don't have insight on, but I have a sneaking suspicion. I think it's academic. To the oh, that, that's interesting. Uh, but he was, it never showed up yeah. in the odds. I mean, Ecury D was two to five at one point, one to five at one point. Well, some of them came in early. Some of them came in late. I think people were given the vouchers and they put it in at their own time window. So um, if it, oh, you're saying it was just never. Well, I, I watched yeah, the board I mean, pretty close. I was, he was hovering three to one, seven to two, four to one, like the entire time because I was looking to bet him. So I never saw any big bet on him. I do not believe that that's true. Maybe he. Oh, yeah, I have. I have to posit this question. The, so the result was favorite one, favorite two, favorite three, favorite four. How did we get forty-seven to one on that superfecta? I just, I just wow. noticed that. And they were the only. Four yeah, it's an eight-horse field. The four favorites finish in order: forty-seven to one. I mean, take Agri D on top and put the three underneath. Right? Yeah, that's a great payoff. Especially, especially sequentially, first, second, third, and fourth choices. That, that's what I was just thinking. That's that's, re- that's incredible. In that order, yeah, that's wild. And it's all odd numbers, right? There's all all odd sure, numbers. Sure, whatever the hell that means. <laughs> I know that's what I look at. <laughs> hey, come on, we 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 want uh, first racing. Oh yes, racing I I want to put twenty on black again. Mm. We have That's what I call most racing sometimes if I'm <laughs> losing. Yes. Now, Ray, Ecury D went three for three last year. That wasn't enough for you. Three starts to get him in the conversation for horse of the year. How about this year with that, that starts now? Why are you acting like five starts isn't monumentally different? The horse the and on top of that, when the horse came over here, it was what, October? So you're you're declaring this horse is the best in the division of the year when he raced for a total of a month and a half. That's so you. It has to be different. different, and <laughs> <laughs> uh, honestly, if this sport didn't vote Bulldog Hanover Horse of the Year, I think that would be the most based thing that could ever happen. We'll move to race nine. Now the TVG Mares final. Now, you know, I, I planted the seed of doubt because I tell you, every time Test so the did I. never wins. So Took her on I. top, but very hesitantly here. Did not single her or anything, but yet she still lost here. Ray, I think you were willing to say, if I remember our conversation correctly, that you said you thought this was really the first time this year she was, as you put Yeah, it. and also I saw Greg Reinhardt pointed it out too. They were really tinkering with her. Mike also said um, in our chat as well, he, he didn't really like that Test of Faith was going on Lasix for the first time for this race. That didn't really bother me that much because it's an older horse. It, it, it's not the Lasix won't make a horse regress. I guess it could indicate that it's trying to compensate for something the trainer suspects has leveled off with the horse. And that might be a sign the horse is regressing. But that uh, conjecture aside. Brett was really trying to figure there were Murphy blind changes and all, all these other headgear things that I think I can recall him having done before to some to some extent whether it just be like changing how she can see and refining how she can see but then in the stretch maybe it was also just because you know, it was a colder night out she 26 and 2 just wasn't enough but also I it, it to a degree you could also say that 
Dave is again underestimated how much Grace Hill can hold her speed because Grace Hill went the exact same race she did in the Breeders' Crown and proved that she can roll to the finish and that if you are going to beat me, you have to grind and outgame me. And so I don't know what Test of Fate's plan is if she's going to be coming back at five. I do know that because she's partly owned by Kentuckiana, so there might be some breeding interests involved, especially if they think she's leveled off. Uh, so if they if these two end up hooking up again next year, the day I think Dave is going to finally realize that you know there's there's more competition in this division than he thought, which he should have realized probably when the source lost those four races this year. Well, Mike, Mike, every time we see Test of Faith lose, the discussions are always over Test of Faith's race, but especially in this case and the Breeders' Crown. How about a little <coughs> love for the winner, though? Grace Hill, uh, Nikki Hill, same ownership going 1-2 there. Uh, Grace Hill, Breeders' Crown winner, and now a TVG final winner. Yeah, she took it to him, and she took it to him up in Canada also. And, and uh, when you're able to do that and, and roll on the front and, and and finish it out and you know be able to kick home 26-4 and four in a 48-3 mile, you're going to be tough. I don't care who's who's coming after you, uh, and Test of Faith has has proven that it, it's difficult to overcome those circumstances, even on her best nights. And and it could be anecdotal that you know, okay, you know, she adds Lasix, you know, and I just for me, I don't like horses that this horse is supposed to be a killer, and all of a sudden we're going to go on her last start and she's going to add Lasix. I mean. I, that's I'm not a fan of that. I don't like adding Lasix off wins. That's another thing that I don't do normally. I mean, uh, any any horse that wins, what are you adding Lasix for the better. next time? I mean, that's not something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The enemy of good is better. Okay. And Test of Faith never needed it before, and now all of a sudden needs it in this race, and she's two to five. I just I didn't view it as a positive. Let's just let's just go that way. It's not that I didn't think she could win or couldn't win, whatever, but I didn't view it as a positive against and and the ones that are up against her have proven that they can hang with her now she's not crushing everything like she was last year i mean she lost two races last year this year she needs things to kind of you know she's just not dominating the way she was and i just felt like there were red flags uh, grace hill i thought was a, a definite use because she's done it before she just beat her when in the breeder's crown not that long ago and nikki hill raced very well also I mean, these are good horses she's facing. They're capable of going with her. So much love to the winner. I thought the, the Nikki Hill race well. Test of Faith was good, but she just wasn't herself. Garnett, um, you know, Ray discussing payoffs here. How about first, second, third choices? Not necessarily in that order. One, two, three here, though. 53 to one on that dollar trifecta. But um, Nikki Hill's second choice, that surprised me here. I don't know about you, Garnett, but that was surprising to me personally. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Um, the The obvious value of the race is the winner. Um, I never got a chance to bet the race or any of the races because I nice. was at a concert, which I had tickets for for several months. But okay, <clears throat> um, yeah, it was a good concert. Um, yeah, I mean, you, you would think the four year old that just beat Test of Faith in the Breeders' Crown of Mohawk would be the second choice. I would think. Um, so I, I would, you know, I'm a little disappointed I wasn't betting the races because I too. Uh, in the round table said that I thought test of faith was vulnerable and uh, that's a great price 1360 almost six to one on Grace Hill wow and she was definitely full value for the win 54 and three going out 54 flat coming home uh, really never challenged from the half on and uh, she could be a she could be a monster next year she's she's back to you know herself and uh, she could be the one next year 
So, Mike, test of faith, I think, uh, well, actually, I got the program right here. Let's find out. 11 for 19 this year. Maybe not quite the women's scene she was last year, but she won a lot. But she didn't win. That the is State. the that uh, Lady Liberty. Uh, okay, she did not win the Lady Liberty. She did not win the Breeders' Crown Final. She didn't win the TVG Final. Grace Hill wins two of those. That was uh, the that was that Indiana horse, Kobe's Gigi. All right, Kobe's Gigi, Gigi wins yeah. that. We see Grace Hill win the Breeders' Crown Final and the TVG Final again. Testify still eleven for nineteen this year with some big wins in there, but. Mike, divisional honors? I think that Test of Faith will still probably get it because she has that reputation. She has that I'm two to five against these every week. She has you guys saying, I can't believe she even lost these races. You know, when you look at her record and, and that's etched into everybody's mind. I mean, she was horse of the year last year. She really didn't do anything to disgrace herself this year. It's not like she had these clunkers. Yeah, she didn't win some of the spots, but... Some trips were against her. I think ultimately she probably will get it. It's tough to justify right? who would get it in lieu of her because, you know, the only horse you could argue is Grace Hill. But Grace Hill, again, this is of the year. Grace Hill didn't really pop into her stardom until the end of the year. Test of faith from May to now. Even if she lost in the Breeders' Crown and the Merit, she was second by a head in the Breeders' Crown. She was third by a length. She won the Milton. She won the Alara. She won the Dayton. She won the Dorothy Houghton in 47, just a tick off of Sharton's world record. Won the Graduate, blah, blah, blah. Won the Roses are Red. Her, she has a more full-bodied resume through the year versus Grace Hill. And at that point, the conversation's over. Garnett, agree? Yes. Full-bodied like Folgers coffee. I think, uh, yeah, not bad. Eh? Uh, Grace Hill, she just came on too late. Like, she didn't do much of anything all summer, right? Um, <laughs> winning Phillies and Mares Opens at Dayton is okay, but I don't think that gets you divisional honors. But Well, and Grace Hill was also lost in the story. nifty Norman barn because he had, like, what, four or five good <laughs> pacing mares. And on top of that, wasn't – getting the aggressive drives that have been winning her these races now that there's there's a testament to that as well just that tactic change and right. they they did try it um back in the dorothy houghton and she just she didn't have the same oomph that she does now late in the season so maybe it's also she's good at the right time as well maybe some of these pacing mares are tired we don't know if it's going to carry over into the summer months where it's going to get hotter the action is going to get stiffer maybe she doesn't hold as well maybe she's a winner horse we don't know So, Ray, for what it's worth, in your mind, how many more would it take for you of Raso being Test of Faith here at the end of the season to maybe make you change your mind? I don't know. If they, if they met up next week in the uh, Australian Breeders' Crown, which I think might actually be next week. No. And Raso wins that? No. It, it, you have – when there? you were the best horse of the year and your best races are coming end of October, early November, you're already kind of too late. Aside from being a two-year-old where your season doesn't start until June or July, maybe even August. Okay, well, how about the other way then? How, how much sooner would she have had to start? If Grace Hill on? was in contention with Test of Faith from, let's say, like August forward, it's a different conversation, but she wasn't. Because if you look at the stakes seat, our stakes season starts Kentucky Derby weekend, which also I believe is Cutler Memorial weekend and Dexter Cup weekend. 
yeah, so that that's the it first. Is, that's our steak season is the first weekend in May through the last weekend in November. So the midpoint, the midpoint of that fall, the midpoint of that, that falls the after the Hamiltonian. So to be in contention for of the year, you have to have some kind of resume that supports you being a top level horse preceding the Hamiltonian. Race 10, TVG Open Pace Final. Uh, you know, trying to run <laughs> a testament of how great his barn is, the entire place, but it's got to be something incredible about putting fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth in this race. And hey, you know what? I will brag myself. Look at me giving out a. Oh, we didn't, did nope. we not even take Super Because it started the pick four. Yeah. Oh. Well, I gave out the Super Effect in the. In the program and no one could even throw those promen in there i got the best of the burks well and the and best no of the burks like i was oh, saying man. wouldn't be the best of the other two that were in there like what i said play the tape well i gave out a seven dollar 80 cent trifecta then four eight five and i don't know we'll just expound out i gave out a 20 ish dollar trifecta. yeah so Super yeah five, four or five eight five two uh bulldog hanover on top uh, I mean, let's just cut to the point. Can we agree unanimous pace of the year, unanimous force of the year? This one's about as simple as it gets, correct, uh, Mike? Absolutely. He was awesome again. Uh, another no-doubt win. And uh, the, the ones that figured to fire behind him did, but they were never getting anywhere near him. And, I mean, there's not a lot to say about it. I, I thought, you know, here's a buck of bet again, kicking home in 25-1. and one, But he, he, sensed a, he, he just gets lost on the turn mm-hmm. somehow all the time and just – I just I don't really know. I mean, he's fantastic in the straightaways. He's terrible yeah. on the turns. Just terrible. Tattoo artist got his trip, and you know, he's had a hell of a year too. I mean, you have to say he's had a really nice year for just for what he is and how much speed he is. He just ran into a buzzsaw all year long, but he's going to be. I would imagine they'll bring him back. Right? There should be no reason not to. Yeah, I would think too. He's only five. I would think. And he's a rocket ship away from the gate. He'll be great next year, I think. He'll be on any size track. Well, That's yeah, the thing about him. You know, at this point, you have horses like this is the plan. Who I don't know how many years he has left in his career. He's what seven, eight now. Uh, some of these Burke horses almost feel like fillers to a degree. This 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 division could get a bit more depth now that you have a behemoth exiting the scene and more people feeling you know, willing to. Well, we'll have Charlie May back next year. I think he'll be he'll be okay. And let us also remember, there's a, another behemoth of last year that. <laughs> that that's true. Let's hope that the spreadsheets don't miscalculate a zero this time around. Yeah, where where does he Jimmy keep Frank going? Could be back too. Oh. Again, he's got a he had an injury. Um, they had to put they put yeah they had to put screws. Oh, that's what saved always legs. be Mickey. So I think exactly he oh, he might be a monster. Uh, Right. Mm. It was similar to that. Not as bad, though. Not Mickey's was. Uh, I remember seeing Mickey's x ray. Yeah, and then he became the world's fastest standard bread, but he didn't get a plushie. How hard <laughs> is is this what we're setting? You have to you have to break the you have to break expectations of physics six or seven times before we say you can get a mug. I thought that was the funniest part of the whole thing. <laughs> that was a good mug, though. Mug. Oh, yes. Yeah, so we were discussing it on the uh, roundtable for the record. Dexter 
and myself and a couple other Meadowlands employees threw out plush horses in the winter circle. Dexter did not throw any mugs out. But yeah, you that probably could have been dangerous. <laughs> That's right. That was my. You saved some for idea. us, though, right? Here's a question. Yeah. Here's a question or a thought for you guys. So Bulldog bred, I believe, about mm -hmm. 80 mares, give or take a couple this year. Um, when that was lined up, when those mares were lined up, he wasn't the Bulldog then that he yeah. is now. Right? So I'm assuming he did not get the best mares last year when you're mm -hmm. up against Better's Delight, etc. Uh, established. So it's going to be interesting to see how his first crop races. And if they're not great... Um, then how is he received? You, you know, we're not going to see these ones. He's obviously he's mm -hmm. going to get great merits at the end of this year, I would think, for his fifteen thousand dollars stud fee. What what kind of what kind of reception is he going to get if this first crop isn't that great? Because he, you know, he that, that, got good mares, but maybe not the best ones. And it's funny so, in our business too that we think about that because you do have to consider that there will be people in the marketplace who could see that first crop and go, "Wow, he's such a dud of a stud," and then yeah, right, that would. That would be what they're where they would. Jump, uh, the other interesting thing that you um, you look at Bulldog Hanover is a stallion. You know, most of the most of the prominent stallions right now are in some degree connected to the Some Beach Somewhere line, right? You got Captain Treacherous even in Ohio down by the seaside, Some Beach Somewhere yeah. until he uh, croaked. Bull What's interesting right. is Bulldog Hanover to a degree is like one of the few remaining horses of the Western Hanover line. So. You know, Rock and Roll Hanover's gone. Western Ideal, yeah. he had, you know, Western Ideal was the sire of Rock and Roll Hanover. Uh, and even then, most of the horses Rock and Roll Hanover sire, they aren't, they, they aren't moving as many horses as this whole Sun Beach Somewhere line, which the Sun Beach Somewhere line also paternally runs to Matt Scooter as a foundational sire versus Bulldog Hanover, interestingly enough, is maternally run to Matt Scooter because Shadow's Shadow's play is out of a Matt Scooter mare, but Shadow play is also by the Pandarosa. All, all, all this to say, it seems like he will be a stallion who will be able to attract mares because he doesn't fall into the same bloodline as some of the other prominent stallions right now, and especially of the, some of the top mares who are from that stallion line. But at the same time, we've also seen that the yeah. Sun Beach Somewhere horses, the, they, they hold the hegemony for a reason, and so does that also mean that Bulldog Hanover being from this bloodline that is proven through time to not be able to compete with that Mach 3 line, does it hold up? It's, But he's a, he's a freak, though, and people aren't going to forget mm -hmm. that for quite a while. I mean, I think he's going to get plenty of chances to prove but his the other thing, stuff. too, and I honestly, I, I wish I would have talked to Jack about Jack Darling specifically because I saw him at the sale all the time, but he doesn't know who I am yet. The thing that I've, I've wondered is... When Bulldog goes to stud, you know, when a horse goes to stud, that that also conditions them to a degree. You're you're getting their testosterone up and, and, all, and all these sorts of things that come with breeding mares. And we've seen other stallions do double duty before. And even a horse like Archangel, who I remember did it, he didn't he, he got a little bit better after doing stallion duty, but he still wasn't the top dog in the division. I I'm genuinely curious how much him breeding those mares helped build him into the bulldog he became i feel like it had to have had some impact right well there's no discussion here on the division of honor so with that uh the last thing i will say on this whole bulldog story is i i'm glad he got some recognition kind of later on in the evening there it seemed like in a lot of photographs his name was out there but johnny malia who was the caretaker 
from Bulldog Hanover. I got a chance to beat him in the back paddock uh, before the races on Saturday night. And uh, a fantastic to hear from him and obviously how much he cared for this horse all year and to just kind of see the entire team effort that it took for Bulldog Hanover this season. And, um, again, just <laughs> tremendous uh, congratulations to all the connections. And, uh, of course, I had Jack, Jack Darling on pre-race interview before race eight. And uh, it's always fascinating to hear him talk about how he found this little $28,000 yearling in the Harrisburg Purchase, Ray. Is, Ray, this really goes against what we usually believe, which is always This is what you always, the best, right? always believe. Don't pin me in this. Okay, Bob? I never believed that. And Ray, since you mentioned it, I will put out here on this podcast, since I have received many Facebook messages and many Twitter messages asking about the giveaway items for uh, both Bulldog and Atlanta, I gave everyone the response. Now you hear it on the show that I'm not lying to anybody. I got one item the whole night. It was one Bulldog plushie. That is mine, and that is it. So I uh, believe, as Barbara Lings has said on Twitter, your best bet is probably check eBay. There's probably something on there if you really would like yeah. one that badly. But um, apologies to all. I have nothing to offer. What good is knowing you then? Ray, My I friendship you with you. I played the long game, Mr. Hatter. I said when I met this kid at Rosecroft three years ago, that man would be able to get me a Bulldog Hanover plushie. And this is how you repay me? Ray, I this is what you do to me? I'm not really seeing anything on eBay currently, just so you know. <laughs> what was that, Mike? Nothing on eBay currently. Really? Okay. Uh, Ray, I, I gave you winner after winner at Harrisburg uh, to buy, and you never bought any. This is a betrayal never known to history. Ray can't buy a coffee at Harrisburg. You want him to buy a horse? That's I right. You know what? He... he you know what? That's right. Last year when I was at Harrisburg for the first time ever with Ray and my dad, we were going to buy lunch. My dad and I were just buying whatever. Ray said, like, ooh, $8 pasta dish. Ooh, $8. Okay, that's a legitimate thing to say because when you go to a grocery store, whether it's Trader Joe's or Blimey Mike's or whatever the hell place it's called, you can get a box of pasta for a buck thirty and then a jar it. of sauce for a buck forty. That's $3. You're paying You know why it's price. $8, Ray? Because it's ready. That's why. I'm not paying $8 for a cheap thing I can make in my house. If I'm going out and I'm paying money for food, I want it to be something quality. Make it something I, it's too complicated for me to make, like a sandwich with five layers. That's hard. All right, race 11. Ray Catolo. Yeah. Three, four, five, six in the pick four, and I like El Ray on top, and I'm going to tell you why. Because I know when El Ray wins, Ray Catolo is going to put a costume of a bullfighter on and adopt El Ray as his new Twitter handle. I'm convinced of that. <laughs> Ray Cattolo, how's that going? I, 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 I have to say, when coming up with handicapping angles, I'm always astounded at what the brilliant minds of the horse racing gambler will come up with or conjure to to pick why they like a horse in the race. Hey, to Garnsdale's credit, he was right. Uh, against his credit, and maybe against mine too, because I can't afford it, I don't have a bullfighter costume. Damn it. I, I I did I needed to hit the pick four, but I, I didn't I didn't have Grace Hill. Well, now uh, this was one of those races. I think I hinted this at the beginning, but I'll reiterate again here. El Ray was a clear third choice in the Will Pays. He became the very slight favorite of post time, so that was a clear five thousand dollar win bet <laughs> implication. But even with that said, Garnett, were you okay taking him as the slight favorite, or did you not like him as much then? I didn't bet the race. I, I don't think I would have bet him to win as the favorite. I, I probably would have hit something in the exotics here, but <clears throat> I thought he was pretty impressive. But, I, I, you know, so too were the horses that, that, that finished second and third here. They knocked heads. They they put up some big fractions. 
Uh, El Rey came from a tough spot off some cover that was stopping on the far turn. Zeron did what he could to save as much ground as he could by not tipping wide until until they got straightened out. Uh, I thought it was a really good drive by Scott. Um, but I, I don't think much really separates the top three. I think El Rey might be a little bit better than the other two, but I think you know it was a pretty good race for all three of them from what, from what I saw. I also uh, congratulations to the person you got five thousand dollars handed to you, and then you walked out of the track. You got, you got seven to five on that with five. You you walked out with twelve thousand dollars that wasn't yours, and eight now it's five. yours. He was eight to five. Yeah, oh yeah, it would be eight to five. Yeah, because it's five twenty. Thirteen k on the L Ray. That guy must that's have been awesome. swept turning for home. Yeah, that that exactly like that's that I think is what made that promotion so good. You give someone that chance, and they they're able with the pools being as big as they are too at the Meadowlands. You can do something like that, and it, so if if you're right, that's a monumental score to go from zero dollars to thirteen k just from you know luck to a degree, and also picking the right horse. Yeah, with no risk. No risk. Mike, what are your thoughts on this race? It was a good race. I thought uh, the way we talked about it on the the preview, <coughs> the four, five, and six were the best horses. I do feel that El Rey did overcome, and he had a lot of work to do turning for home, but he exploded 26-3, and three, whereas your combustions and ammos were coming home 27-2, and 27-4. and four. Uh, That was a huge rally. He was a very well-deserved winner. Uh, congratulations to the person that, that got the 5000 to win. Uh, very astute betting. Um, they look like the best three. I thought Ammo was good again, but maybe he's not so good on the front. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, But he, he's, he's a fighter. I, I think that he's, he's very willing to, to, to gut it. And Combustion also. Both of those horses like a fight. They don't mind getting after it. They just got beat by a better horse that and maybe uh, I just feel like it was – he was getting better at the right time and the end of the year. Uh, he was, you can't take anything away from him. And he yeah. was really good. And really. I want to ease Mike's heart a little bit, Mike, all season long. I've never disliked ammo. <laughs> I, I, I think ammo is a perfectly fine whore. I think he's going to be a great three-year-old. I can't wait. But, he's a three-year-old, but when we're talking about these races, a two-year-old, I, I think just right now at this point, he's at a little bit of a disadvantage, but that does not mean I don't think he's going to be a good horse. No, he, really. he, he can be a good horse. He'd be way better than Save America, that's for sure. We already saw Ray be dreadfully wrong last year about the whole Jovi Alley's going to be a good three-year-old thing. So is this your three-year-old next year, Ray? Uh, I Look, I was right until I was wrong, and that is how this business will operate now until the end of time. And honestly, I would not want it any other way. Ammo, look, ammo's bred to be good, and sure, pedigree only means so much, but it also means so much. He, The horse has proven that he can compete. He had a bit of a late start. He clearly was learning as he was going. He lucked into some real good positions and was put into some good positions that required luck for him to capitalize from. All of that to say... If he can get his head together, obviously he's probably going to grow into himself as a three-year-old. He stands to be a good horse. Now, Ray, I defer to you here because, again, I reiterate, I have driven probably like 20 of the last 30 hours or something absurd. So I forget what we discussed before we started this recording, Ray, but Ammo the Breeders' Crown winner. Oh, Ray, just one here. What other horses we were discussing possible divisional honors here? Um. Uh, well, oh, wait. So con- so Confederate was the Breeders' Crown favorite, but then before that, Stockade – well, Stockade Sealster won the Metro. Oh, Stockade Sealster. Correct. Beat Stockade Save America. 
Save America's in there. Um, I mean, I guess handle like a Porsche, Vuka Follows. They were the other ones, at least not at this point, obviously. But yeah, they're mm-hmm. horses at this point, some point of the season. So uh, I don't know. Where, where do we go? Well, let's start with Mike. Mike, will you side with the Breeders' Crown champion here? I don't know. It's I, I, I do like him. I, he won the biggest race. Does he have the resume that stacks up with some of these other ones? Probably not. Uh, he's he's kind of like uh, a Breeders' Cup winner that you know you you find like the sprinter this year. He won one race, but there's really nobody else that has the resume to stack up with everything. So you give him extra credit. Or that year that the Derby winner wins three year old of the year because there were no other standouts. I'm not sure that that's the case here. I do think he'll get votes. I do like the horse. I just don't know that uh, he ends up getting the the uh, division honors just on that one win. Uh, Ray, before I ask this, I again reiterate my sleep deprivation. Did Stockade Sealster race in the Breeders' Crown? Stockade Sealster finished fourth in the Breeders' Crown. Yeah, then I'm not I, you know, I've had Stockade Sealster my top seven year. I'll stick with Stockade Sealster. Yeah, and he was he's only won, he only lost what two races all season. If I remember right, he won the OSS Correct. Super Final. He swept the Ontario Sire Stakes. But again, that's also that's a that's a contest of what do, what credit do you give to a horse that never left Canada? Not to say that that should be used against him, but when you're considering overarching North American form, and that the, does that play a role? Proven to be the the strongest version of that race, either. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because Save, Save America was fifth here. Ticker tape Hanover never really had a chance to show himself hunting the last dollar. I, a lot of these horses from the Metro haven't come back. Ants marching started to round back into form, but he's also a head case. And that's only the real other horse from that Metro final. That's come back to do much of anything. Um, Captain bat boy was just purchased for new connections, but at least I think it would, maybe I'm conflating that with, maybe I'm remembering someone else. I'm, I think I'm remembering someone else. Three losses this year, Ray, for Stockade Seals, sir. Both Breeders' mm-hmm. Crown Final and a limb and the limb of the Metro. So, And also worth noting that Ammo, even though his his season was short, you know, he was second to combustion in that race where that Virgil Morgan horse went 52 to the half for some reason as a two-year-old. Uh, so a- Ammo's been in the punches through the year and was just only an inches short of combustion and beat combustion in the breeder's crown. So at, at that point, the like you could frame the conversation to be, is it between ammo and combustion? Because those two traded blows back and forth and were in some of the bigger dances post August and in Lexington and then into Canada. But again, like if you're going through the year, there is an argument to be made for stockade sealster. Does, is he, is he at a disadvantage? Cause he hasn't left Canada. I mean, he's a two year old, so it's, it's tough to say, but he was stockade sealster through the whole year. What what he was punching up against it, it it's almost like a five horse race, you know. So good good luck. Yeah, it, it, th- th- this is going to be one where if you're a trainer and you want your horse to win, it's time to do a lot of lobbying. I'm talking gift baskets. Find the addresses of the voters. Uh, apples, pears, bananas, some chocolates, all in one. Unless they're allergic to chocolate, then uh, per- then you have to figure that out too. How you figure that? I don't know. Um, test them and then uh ooh, gift cards they love gift cards also i'm trying to think of everything i would want to receive as a bribe um there's two oshawa members in this uh room right now so i don't know garnett what's the best way for people to reach you with bribes (laughs) chocolate's good booze would be good um deposit to my adw would be good 
<laughs> Ray said something uh, a while ago that I think I might adopt as my uh, quote in my Twitter bio. I was right until I was wrong. I love that. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah Ray, Sounds I'll like take... my marriage. <laughs> right? Ray, I'll take my bribes in the form of I will give people my credentials, log in my TVG account, make a deposit, and bet on a one-to-nine shot, and we're good. Wow, what a, what a gift. Can you imagine if Edison would have won the 5,000? He probably couldn't find a one-to-five shot to play. Ed, Ed would be so scared when that board opened and he saw a two-to-one favorite. He wouldn't know what to do. Everyone's dead on the board. No, that, no, that's why I would have made sure I was like the volume eight better. And I got the bet in first. That way I see my horse open to one-to-nine and I'm happy. <laughs> I'm surprised there wasn't eight $5,000 bets on the Bulldog. Or was it one bet? They had to do every race individually. And and also, everyone just saved their $5,000 bullet for the place pool. Right. Um, Garnett, if you had a vote, well, you do have a vote. This is divisional honor. Where are you thinking? I don't know, man. I I, I can't make that decision sitting right here. I'd have to to look at it. it, This one, I think, is really tight. Yeah, it seems like there's a lot of deliberation on this one, too. Yeah, it's for the record again. I say Stockade Seals to add, too. To be determined. I'm trying to give preliminary thoughts here, but uh, all right. So let's let's wrap up here within ten minutes or so. But let, let's finish it out. We've already made it this far. So uh, three-year-old Colt Trot, King of the North, comes on strong at the end of the year. He wins the Breeders' Crown. We have the upset winner at fifty-two to one of Cool Papa Bell in the Hamiltonian. Rebuff was the favorite in there. He does come back to win the Kentucky Futurity, right? Rebuff retired, and he disappointed as the favorite in the Hambo. So I can't stand in Indiana. That's interesting. I can't even remember who his sire is. Uh, So good on Indiana. Maybe that was a addition to the gene pool or a multiplication. I don't remember. But uh, at the same, King of the North was in the mix through the season too, even though he wasn't winning. I, I remember Garnsdale was in this conversation too, talking about. If King of the North does get it, he has to be the first horse to receive divisional honors who had not won a race until like November. And I, I remember the only other one I found was some trotting mares whose name I don't even remember. And she was in against, I think, beat the wheel. No, she, it was CRK Susie that she was in against, um, who was a three-year-old <laughs> at the time. And the three-year-old won the Breeders' Crown that year. Um so it would be unprecedented if King of the North got it for as, you know, he was consistently getting checks, but he wasn't getting dubs. And this is a game about getting dubs and hardware and noodle salad. So I don't see who else could be in contention beyond him. Cool Papa Bell was somewhat consistent, too, in the same way King of the North was. He has a much more prestigious win in the Hambletonian, but King of the North almost combats that with the Breeders' Crown Trophy. He's defended that with, um, was it the season? No, it's the, what's the Caesars race that he won in Indiana right after that? Was that the, or is that just the Hoosier trotting derby? I forget what it's called, but it was the Erskine. Oh, the Carl Erskine. That's right. Um, so if any, that recency bias will probably play into that even though he lost the matron to double deceiver but that was because ray Catolo had a great bet on double deceiver and king of the north didn't stand a chance nobody cares that. what you bet king of the north does he felt it yeah i told you ray i told you i had this conversation with ray snicker at harrisburg <laughs> i'm on king of the north all year 
until the Breeders' Crown, and he starts winning. And see, I'm telling you, I don't think Rachel Nicker believed me. He won all his races because I was one of them, off of him. Guess what? I'm right back on him that next stakes race at uh, Hoosier, and he loses. Well, you've never met a four to five you never liked, and you have to start meeting a few that you shouldn't like. King of the North, it was a bet against in that race, but yeah, I had King of the North and Hamiltonian at twenty five to one, whatever. Go read the program comments. That's cool. I had joviality for like a lot of money, and I lost. She was no good. Oh yeah, she was. She was. She was no good. That's one way to look at that race. Um, but. Yeah, it's that that is an open division. I'm talking for way too long for two guys who are probably going to agree with me that King of the North probably gets it. I don't think so. I like Ooh, Really? Yeah, because when we were sitting doing the Hambo show, we were sitting here talking about how great Rebuff was and and he was the dominant force and was freaking 1 to 5 in the Hamiltonian or whatever he was and no, he didn't fire, but he raced well after that race. And Once. I just feel like that he's well. Even still, he won a big race. He won a, one third of the Triple Crown. I mean, and he was mm-hmm. consistent prior to the Hambo. He was favored in the Hambo, even though he didn't win. And then he proved himself superior to most of those horses, even though he was eight to one in that race in Kentucky. After that, and and it's a mishmash of everybody else. I mean, Cole Papa Bell won the Hambo at fifty to one. I mean, so prior to that, he obviously wasn't tearing it up. Now. He was more consistent, but he didn't fire in the Breeders' Crown whatsoever. I don't know. I, I like I like to think Rebuff is probably the best of this group, even though he could be a little bit forgotten. That's who I would vote for. Do we ever get a better clarification than just he didn't fire in that breeder in that uh, Hamiltonian? On Rebuff, no. It would look. I'm I'm pretty sure Lucas is on record just saying the horse didn't have it. Okay, Garnett, what do you think of this division? And I might go against both of you and go with the with the uh, Hamiltonian winner, just because it's kind of so wide open. It's fair. Get a couple of decent wins after that. I well, I guess I get to break a tie. Um, because that is how the voting works on this anyway. So once Ed makes his decision, that is three year old trotting Colt of the Year. So choose wisely and don't choose a gelding, even though it's Colton Gelding. Uh, <laughs> uh, hurry up, Ed. Tan- this makes Hanover. for great radio. I just Tandem Hanover? Uh, you wasted the vote break! To poor you Hanover. Oh, no. His older brother. Oh, no. Um, you know, I think Mike has sold me on Rebuff. We were also high on him in early August. There'd be no question to that point in the year. He just doesn't fire in early August. He has a horse. And he then he doesn't fire <laughs> that, that, that's the best argument I heard for a horse who it, it's just, why was he racing? Well, oh, you know, he was just being a horse. He wasn't being good. He was just being a horse. I, I don't title to a bad day. If he, if he wins the Hamilton, he, was, he had a bad month after the Hamilton. It took him until I think he only won one leg of the Kentucky championship series. He didn't win the final. And then he won the Kentucky Futurity, and that was all that was on his resume after that. He didn't really – he did not compete in the big days. King of the North showed up. King of the North showed up. and that, He showed up with no wins until November. But he was still there trying, and that's going to be a stallion tagline. King of the North, he still showed up. Ray, I can't argue for Grace Hill because she didn't start until winning until the end of the season, but you can argue for King of the North who didn't win until November. I, well, the reason why I can argue this is because he was second in the Stanley Dancer. He was still in the Hamiltonian. He I was. Mean, we can play that game. Grace Hill was fourth in the Milton. I mean, she was around. You know, she. 
but it's a different game when test of faith was as dominant as she was. You were talking about a division that has no stalwart. It is, it is ruled by no one. It is, it is a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing. It's a great book too. Not Macbeth, but well, the let's get ourselves to the next division. How about we stick with the Trotters? Three-year-old Philly Trotters. Jiggy Dog versus Joe Vialde. I think Joe Vialde had a pretty firm grasp on this division for a while, personally. But end of the season, Breeders' Crown, I'm going to probably lean Jiggy Dog right now. But uh, Ray Catolo, uh, disagreement? You might be right. Because after the Oaks, which Joe Vialde did beat Jiggy Jog in the Oaks, but... If Jiggy Jog raced in the Oaks versus Joviality, this this conversation would be interesting in two ways. It could be interesting in the way that people would see how much Jiggy Jog ruled over every other filly in that division, or they would be raising questions of how come Joviality went against the boys, and this one who's so good didn't go against the boys. That must make Joviality the better horse. And Jiggy Jog didn't disappoint herself in that hambo either. She was in a disadvantageous spot compared to joviality she still overcame that to be involved in the race and race to the expectation that both the betting as well as the overall dogma agreed she should perform in that race so that on top of jiggy jug topping joviality in the most of the races in the remainder of the season uh, the, the ball's in, jo- in jiggy jog's court now now, Ray, back to the voting question, um, and obviously we all... You can only vote once. I've tried twice, but I got arrested. We've all established my limited knowledge of uh, events happening before 2019 in the sport. So, mm-hmm. Ray, when we're talking three-year-old Philly Trotters against the boys, which they both did a lot, how do the voters tend to consider that? Like, in this case, the two clear leaders of the division both were against the boys most of the season anyway, but for what it's worth in theory, if one of them was racing okay-ish against the boys and came in and won a couple against the girls and the other one was just crushing the girls all year, I mean, how do the voters usually play into that? It's tough to evaluate because when Phillies have gone against the boys, you rarely had Phillies who were only met against their own division. They had to be transcendent to a degree, at least against their peers, to justify them trying something unconventional like going against the opposite sex like pampered princess was an okay philly i don't remember her dominating her division when she raced in the hambletonian the of recent memory you know atlanta beat the boys in the hambo no one no no one else in her division i can't remember who was in her class that year either um that would have been in competition with her that would that was the year that was that ariana g that year that Atlanta won the Hambo, or was that an, that was another Tactor horse? I was that Manchego. That might have been Manchego's year, right? Yeah, right. yeah. One that she won the Oaks. Yeah, and that, and the only and the only other one that comes to mind is Mission Brief, and she was a speed freak who could do no wrong until she did herself wrong. So it, the the like vote you, the like being right until you're wrong. Uh, and, and honestly, if that's not this life, Garnsdale, can I get an amen? Amen. Thank you. So point being, there's the Phillies that go against the boys are freaks by nature. And if anything, it's more so them making evident that they stand out by going against the boys versus a race against the boys, justifying that they are better than the Phillies because they already have proven to some capacity they're better than their own sex. Jesus, this is this is absolutely brutal at this point. 
Wait, 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 why did Jiggy Jones stop competing against the boys this late in the season? Why stop he... asking him questions. Okay, well, here, here, for for the sake of the audience, Ed, ask that question to Mike, and then Mike, answer it how you think I would answer it, but only in forty words. Mike, do you agree, Jiggy Jog, for this division? Yes. Why? Because they both raced well all year in their own division and against the boys. They were willing to take shots there. And at the end of the year, Jiggy Jog was better. She crushed in Kentucky. She crushed the Breeders' Crown. It wasn't even close. She has proven, I feel like herself, the superior athlete throughout the year. So that was at least the last two wins are, are were huge races. So right. I believe I, that he's the better that, horse. That's like 84 words. You couldn't do it, Mike. I'm sorry. Robert Reed Jr. wasn't able to join us, so I got it. War Weezania. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. That's what Garnett agrees with? Mm-hmm. Uh, no. Uh, definitely Jiggy Jog, yes. Um, you know, that when push comes to shove, she crushed Joviality at the end of the year. And like like Mike said, you know, they were both very good all year. But, um, you know, I think the defining moment is moments are going to be in October. Mm-hmm. Three-year-old Colt Pace. Breeders' Crown goes to Pebble Beach. Beach Glass in the conversation. And I guess really maybe threw himself further into with that most recent progress Pace win. Lost the Meadowlands Pace. By the Missile beats them both in the Adios. couple other wins out there in Ohio, but of course is only third in the Breeders' Crown. Garnett, let's go to you first this time. What do we do with this division? I'm leaning towards Pebble Beach. Um you know, he won. He won some of the biggest races, right? The North American and at Mohawk. So maybe, maybe Ray will uh, <laughs> pick against them because they were in Canada or something. But um, you know, when you win the North America Cup and the Breeders' Crown, unless you completely stunk the rest of the year, which he didn't, how do you lose this award? In my opinion. But that's the thing, Garnsdale, To Pebble Beach's credit, he won those races, but he held up that form elsewhere on the circuit where the voters reside. So it's a different conversation than some of these other ones. I yeah. still, mm-hmm. I, it's hard. It's hard to disagree, though. Also, that Beach Glass is going to have a strong sentimental vote because, well, for one, I I know people who were mis- like after a month from the North America Cup, I heard people say Beach Glass won the North America Cup, and I'm thinking, what planet are you on? First on, uh, but second mm-hmm. off, uh, you know, he's the last. He's the uh, last son of some beach somewhere and some beach somewhere is now is some in some sky somewhere and with that and him being as good as he is racing for the connections that raised him and his daddy but not his daddy's daddy his daddy's daddy is somewhere else maybe on some beach well, i th- uh, some canadian votes they won't he won't get mine but he will get some canadian votes yeah and and so there that there that will be a bias in this voting too, that other divisions don't have. You don't believe in biases. <laughs> Ray, you to write 40 words and you said that. I look, I, I'm, I, I was as concise as I could be. I don't know what I could say. The horse died, but that's not polite. I think I would make the argument for beach glass here actually, but uh, I, I, I will suspect Pebble Beach probably gets it. Mike, what do you think? Yeah. Pebble beach. Uh, we talked about this the last time. Uh, I think he's, just the Breeders' Crown was was a big win. 
North America Cup was a massive win, dominant. Uh, he had some other nice wins during the season. He didn't take any time off for any surgeries or whatever. Uh, so he's he's fine for me. So I'd be again, fine with him winning it. Here, of which of the 12 Breeders' Crown winners do you think was the most impressive for me to get this list of winners? Apparently the least impressive winner all weekend. Treacherous Dragon, three-year-old Philly Pace. I could see that because she had a trip and people wouldn't be... Actually, that was a pretty exciting... Well, most impressive. I guess that's not exciting. It was an exciting finish. Exciting for her to wait to get room, but most impressive. Eh, I don't know. Anyway, um, Garnett, three-year-old Philly Pacers. So uh, what do we have? Treacherous Dragon, Nikki Hill. I don't this know what else easy we have one. This is an easy one. Garnsdale, get it right. Who is it? Oh, suspense. I'm leaning to Nikki Hill. Thank you. Yes. I think she was the best. I, I wish she had more than uh, seven races, but <coughs> I think she was the best mare, and I think she was pretty unlucky to lose the Breeders' Crown. She raced her eyeballs out that night, and uh, from the 10 hole especially, right? It, I mean, it took her almost three-quarters of a mile to get make front, and she just got tired right near the end. Still pacing a 27-1 and one kicker, but um, Treacherous Dragon's trip was just too good there. And uh, for me, I, she'll probably get my vote. That's the that's the thing with that, right? You can look at it that way, or you can look at the only way those Phillies could beat Nikki Hill was for her to have to get the 10 hole, for her yeah. to have to. And even then, through all of that, she only lost a neck. Yeah, that was a huge mile in defeat. Mm-hmm. As good as you can race in defeat. Is now Ray, does number of starts become a question? Seven starts this year versus a lot more for some of these others in the division? It doesn't based on who was leading like can you tell me who the leading pacing Philly was before Nikki Hill came back? Going in what in this division this year? Yes. Oh gosh. That okay, then Nikki Hill has won this division. Captain Cowgirl? <laughs> I well, was, Tetris Dragon was really good to start the year and then she kinda went away and went off form and and then towards the end of the year, she got very good again. So, I mean, there's an argument to be had for her. But then Nikki Hill beat her in the T against older horses, too. And she almost beat older she horses. Bad post. I agree. I'm, I'm just saying, if you're going to make an argument, she's probably the only argument. Yeah. I can't see an argument for Max Contract or Boudoir Hanover. Too no, many I mean, they, they raced, you know, well, they had the, the couple races where they were good. But overall, I think it's the top two. Mm-hmm. All right, well, to wrap us all up here, let's see. So, we can all agree, Horse of the Year is straightforward, it's Bulldog. Pace of the Year is very straightforward, it's Bulldog. Trotter of the Year, Garnett. Say Trotter of the Year? Bella, Bella, Bella. Man. It's got to be Bella. Yeah, I think. I think. Um, well, we're also talking about um, the age. Somebody mentioned Raja one earlier. That was me. Uh, I stick with my opinion that I was held over the summer that he's the best one I've seen in about 10 years. And despite what happened since he got injured, I think I'm going to vote for him for age trotter. Oh, he might not get many votes, but he's probably going to get mine. Didn't Akiri win it last year off of three races? Yeah. Yeah. Wait, did he? Yep. Yeah. Oh God. And Ray, he should have been horse the year over test of faith too, but he's going to get his revenge this year by beating Pull <laughs> I'm going to stuff the ballot box. You tried to vote twice. I'm going to try to vote 150 times. They'll probably let you get away with it, too. Look, I, I, my case stands. Bella Bellini 
has been the most consistent. She dominated her division with a fist of iron and steel and noodle salad. But aside from, uh, yeah, have you ever have you ever seen as good as it gets? Yes, Jack Nicholson, great movie. Uh, where yes. there, there's a line where he goes, "We got folks and friends and noodle salad." It's a great line of dialogue it in is. that in that um. Oh, I forget the name of the guy who made that movie. He also worked on The Simpsons. But anyway, uh, he did Spanglish, too. But that uh, that one's OK. Back to this conversation, though. I can't you can't put Eckery because he was dominated by someone else who would have dominated him had he you know, not had his leg get a little scraped up and had to go bye bye. Bella had none of those excuses. She she was the best from the start, best to the finish. And she probably could have clobbered them harder if she wanted to. But she didn't have to. She's Trotter of the Year. Well, Garnett making the argument for Al-Raj off a few starts, I think he's going to lead me that way because uh, what I was going to say was accurate based on his body of work so far, but I think the point's clear that obviously he got beaten up by a stable mate that, I mean, if Al-Raj is Why don't you think a mayor can win it? Why don't you let a mayor win the Trotter ring? Why won't you let there, but, but then maybe I'll consider Ray's argument for Bella, but if that's the case, I got to remember, she took on the boys once last week and she lost its academic. Eckery got beaten too, so it's academic. <laughs> no, not now. Uh, we put it like that. I think it's academic should be yeah, um, yeah. open didn't trotting. Bella, didn't Bella beat the boys at Hoosier Park? She yeah. did in the Caesar's yeah. Trotting Classic. That's right. All of them, more than one, crushed them too. Mm-hmm. Was but never not, losing. Not Eckery though. I, I think because she started. She beat Eckery in that preferred. I think because she started more races, or sorry, because she started more races, Bella bleeding probably wins. I will probably vote for Araja. But I'm going to guess. Hopefully people think this through because I feel like it's probably going to be Bella Bellini and Ekuri getting the most votes of these. But ultimately, Ekuri really should never get more votes than Alraja despite the number of starts they both had, though, really. But, uh, Mike, what are your thoughts on this before we wrap it up? I think Bella likely wins. I think that Ekuri could. And Araja's just going to get lost because he hasn't been seen in quite a long time. Well, there we have it. We There is a look at all the divisional previews. That is all 12 divisions we've gone through. Pace of the year, trot of the year. And Horse of the Year, they will all be announced, although there really shouldn't be much suspense on Horse of the Year, um, on, oh, I don't know, what do we have, February 20th down in Orlando, whatever that's. Oh, yeah, because they do withhold that until the actual ceremony. But February 19th, Sunday, February 19th this year, I believe, don't quote me on that. Down but on November 28th, four minds of the up-and-coming Harness Racing Brain Trust broke into the Ushua archives and revealed to the public who will win those three divisions. So... You could just still watch, I guess. Oh, there we go. And, uh, hey, uh, we uh, got to give credit to Ray Catola, by the way, for correctly predicting that Doug McNair would win that driver's challenge. Ray, we, we, you were, that was the first thing we said, and then we BS the other seven, like, you know, promo intros, congratulations, you win. We should have just stopped. Well, that was because you panicked and you worried. Well, what if Ray gets it wrong? Oh, the credibility of this show will be ruined. And uh, folks don't know this. That Ed, Ed cries a lot off air he was sobbing to me and i just say eddie boy eddie boy that's what i call him it consoles him eddie boy it's okay is he like a dog now (laughs) (laughs) well the next thing that i have for you listeners out there as i wrap this up uh this thursday evening one more mohawk show we'll have coming up uh this week no Meadowlands content this week. Next weekend, Mohawk Meadowlands both. The next week, Mohawk Meadowlands both. The next week is just Mohawk for that special <laughs> Boxing Day, December 26th card. Mm-hmm. And we round out the year with New Year's Eve action, Meadowlands and Mohawk. So that's the rest of the year scheduled here on In the Money Media. And uh, when I see you next Thursday, I am hoping to be out of Florida. 
I will have traveled to North Carolina, and I'll be back in the Meadowlands. Nine races this Thursday. We have racing Friday and Saturday as well. Mike Provosi, Nahu Picks, what do we have there? And, uh, hey, you also gave us the email version of this. You say it on the show here. Those are some pretty good handle numbers for our friends at Century Mile there on that National Driving Championship night. Yeah, Century got uh, it was over 200-plus thousand that night. So it's just like about four times their typical handle. Uh, that was a fun night, too. That was great racing. There were great payouts that night. Very enjoyable racing, and Doug McNair dominated that driving championship. We have Century Mile every week now with Murray Slaw. Uh, I ha- I'll be back on Nahu for Mohawk probably the rest of the year. Uh, we have Meadowlands every night, Meadows uh, during the day. That's through the week. Uh, just get there. It's It's all good stuff. Garnett, you are back, I do believe, here coming up shortly. DRF Harness after your little brief hiatus. Yeah, there was a thanks to Mike uh, for covering for two two days, so I can uh, I can enjoy my trip to Detroit, which I did immensely, and uh, I got five more races to do after the show before I go go to bed for on Thursday's card. So you can find my picks at the drfharness.com website, and also we have uh, the B Track Ontario B Track picks, which Mike helps me with as well on the Ontario Racing website. Tips from the pro section. So, Mike Garnett, since people always ask me now that I do the morning line and the uh, program <laughs> comments about my process, how long it takes me, eh, for the fun of it, Garnett, give us a little quick little glimpse into the, your process on a, a card like that for Mohawk and how, how long it takes you. <clears throat> Mohawk probably takes me about two hours. Um, I, I tend to view replays as I'm handicapping. I've, I view a lot of stretch drives uh, just to kind of refresh my memory if I missed anything. Um, the B-tracks are a little quicker, mostly because – I do a lot of these tracks all year long, and a lot of the races are seven thousand claimers. So I, I pretty much have these horses memorized what their what their tendencies and kind of uh, cap- capabilities are. So the handicapping process is a bit quicker when I open that page and kind of scan the horses and try and figure out how the race is going to go. Mike, anything different that you do? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty much the same thing. Uh, I do know the horses. I mean, it, it, sometimes it depends on how much time I actually have because I, you know, I mean, I mean, let's let's be real. I mean, I have a sixty-hour-a-week job, so but I do put a fair amount of time into all the cards, and uh, you know, I, I care. I care what what I'm putting out there. I, I'm I'm not mailing it in ever. You know, I'm doing my best. I'm giving my actual real opinion. What I'm betting. What I'm doing every single time. This is probably really dangerous for me to do. To not only leave him last, but also to leave it open ended. Ray Catolo, I guess promo whatever you want. Uh, okay. I, I also want to mention when I did Meadowlands at NahuPicks.com, uh, I was the slowest of everyone. It took me about six hours to do a card, but I stand by having the best analysis in the game. Uh, but I don't do it anymore because I don't have six hours in a day. Unfortunately, the days were cut to now 18 hours. I think it was a government thing. Not my call. I voted for someone else out of my control. I'm on Twitter at Ray Catolo. I'm on. Uh, I I make. I tweet stuff. I do whatever I want. Uh, Harness Land. We're still in talks for a season two next year. Potentially big things happening on that front with Horse Racing Nation. Beyond that, I do whatever other ancillary projects outside of horse racing uh, on my YouTube, which is just Ray Catolo. I I make you know I make short films, I make films, I I'm branching out into some other kinds of projects that I'm hoping to develop in the coming year. And on top of all of that, uh, I'm I'm on uh, DRF Bets uh, now, Express Bet. 
Uh, I'm on Am Wager. Uh, you can't find me on there, but I will be firing on those often, uh, mostly on Meadowlands. And so uh, I think that's everything I have to plug. Did I mention my Twitter? It's at Ray Cotolo. Well, if anybody uh, is looking for me in particular, Mark, well, I got to have some listener to this show. I know someone once messaged me that they were from, um, shoot, where was I? They messaged me. Oh, wait, Ed, I forgot a plug. I'm at Rosecroft this Thursday and then the next Thursday, and then I'm at Freehold on December 9th, the Friday. So I got three race calling gigs coming up, too. That was a plug I forgot. You may now continue. Uh, I know someone once messaged me from Florida, so whoever that person was listening to the show, if you're around or anyone listening uh, tomorrow you can find me in Gainesville Florida at the I think Florida Natural History Museum I think that's what Rachel picks for us to do tomorrow or something oh. like that and uh Thursday night you can find me you know what I may make the very rare appearance of Rosecroft Raceway on the drive back through Ray just to <clears throat> say hi to you for a race or two oh um, but I where, where we all can find you right now is probably in bed getting ready for a sweet dream the same way most people can find me in my bathroom. I told you at the start, I need a restroom. So I am going to use it. Bye. <laughs> All right, right man, like- we'll talk to you later this week. First over that is Hatter coming up Thursday night. We'll discuss some wood by Mohawk Racing. It's already going to be December. But hopefully we've given you some insight here into how the Fall Final Four and TVG Finals night went at the Meadowlands in 2022. And that was a pretty good preview of the Divisional Honors. We wrap up another fantastic Grand Circuit season here in 2022. Um, as always, here on First Over, we'd like to thank uh, again, in the money media for their phenomenal support of us, as always. We like to support really all. Thanks, like to thank all the sponsor tracks we had throughout this 2022 Grand Circuit season. That included uh, Mike. Feel free to jump me in here if I mess something up in here. We had Wood by Mohawk and the Meadowlands through a lot of this Grand Circuit season from Hamiltonian onward. We had, uh, of course, uh, Hoosier Park jumping into the mix as well as Century Mile. Um, we of course thank uh, the Hamiltonian Society as well for their sponsorships as well throughout the time. And uh, we look forward to partnering, hopefully, with them again in 2023 and maybe some new partners as well. And uh, we'll get with that. We'll talk to you later this week. And good night.